Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Physionic Podcast. If you are unfamiliar with who I am, my name is Nicholas Verhoeven. I'm a PhD student in molecular medicine, and I hold my master's in exercise physiology. I have some nutrition science training in undergrad as well. And with that introduction, we will be going into, as usual, an interesting paper, uh, this time discussing the use of caffeine and its potential negative role in terms of insulin sensitivity in humans. So we're going to be looking at a paper. I'm going to be breaking that down as usual, uh, meaning that I'll be giving you an introduction at the beginning. Then we're going to go through briefly the design of the study, which is really, really simple. And then the results for a number of different factors, actually. We're not just going to be looking at insulin sensitivity. And I'm actually going to have some added information specifically on what insulin then has, how insulin has an impact on our health as well. And then uh, we're going to have a discussion, a brief discussion, where I explain the physiology of what may be going on, and then kind of the big takeaway from this study that you can expect. Okay, uh, but before we actually jump into everything, uh, if you're listening to this, you can hop on over to the visual version of this podcast where I'll have diagrams. I'll actually have the data that actually pops up on screen, but certainly don't feel pressured to do so if it's more convenient that you just listen. Uh, you can certainly do that easily and understand everything that I'll be going through. Uh, the other thing is that if you are watching this, you can go over and I will have everything linked in terms of audio as well as the study will be linked for you. And finally, the last announcement is that if you're not part of my email list, uh, this, this week I'll be releasing my next email for my email list exclusively discussing a particular supplement that uh, seems to have some benefit for increasing testosterone, which uh, some people are incredibly curious about. So it actually has an effect on testosterone as well as body fat. So that's the teaser I'll put out there. If you're interested, it's free. I only release one email a month, so it's not like you're going to get inundated with tons of information. Okay, with that said, let's jump into this caffeine study. So the study we're going to be covering is caffeine can decrease insulin sensitivity in humans. Now, of course, as usual on Physionic, we don't just look at the title. We don't just look at the abstract and just say, oh, well, then that must be the case because I have definitely read papers in the past that um, I have absolutely disagreed with the authors uh, of, of that paper, those researchers. However, that isn't usually the case, but still we'll be able to glean some information based off of this study, uh, which I think is going to be really interesting and it's going to really provide kind of an avenue for, for us on Physionic to then kind of move forward and see if we can uh, maybe get some more information on this particular topic. It raises more questions, but it also answers a cer certain things, which uh, is is going to be incredibly useful for us. So just as a basic introduction, uh, why would we care about this, right? Why would we care that caffeine has an impact on insulin sensitivity? If you're not familiar with what insulin is, uh, it is a hormone that's secreted specifically when we eat food, but it's more secreted when we consume carbohydrates. Don't run away with that thought. Don't run away and think that, uh, 
you know, as we go forward that then we have to demonize carbohydrates. That's not the point of this. And that is not also just not the case, but that's not the point of this podcast. So I'm not going to go into it. The point is, if you consume food, you tend to have an increase in insulin release into the bloodstream. Now, what does that insulin do? Well, the insulin molecule will then go through the bloodstream and attach to cells of our body. Specifically, I usually focus on muscle cells as kind of the peripheral cells that insulin will bind to. Now, in our bloodstream, we also have blood glucose. And you're going to hear me say that many times throughout this podcast episode. Blood glucose is blood sugar. Uh, So... Any carbohydrate that we consume gets broken up into its smaller version, which is glucose. It can also be other things, but we're going to be focused on glucose because that's what our body ends up actually using. So blood glucose. And the, the reason why that's important is because insulin, as it binds these cells, let's say muscle cells, then what happens is it activates a bunch of signaling cascades within the muscle cell which again, I'm not going to go into right now, but that ends up leading to this translocation, meaning this, this, this uh, protein that's like a channel, a tunnel in a way, will move to the membrane of the cell. Once it enters the membrane of the cell, it becomes integrated into the membrane of the cell that allows glucose to be taken up from the bloodstream into the muscle cell in this situation, but really any peripheral cell that has uh, insulin receptors. Then from there, uh, you're pulling glucose, pulling blood sugar, those are the same thing, out of the bloodstream into the cells, thereby decreasing blood glucose levels. So when you go over to your doctor, they measure your blood sugar levels. What are they measuring? They're measuring exactly that. They're trying to measure... uh, if it's elevated or not, especially in a fasting state, it should not be elevated. It should be below, at, at least below, uh, I think 100 milligrams per deciliter. I think that's the, the number. So that's the general cascade of how things work. And that's really simplistic understanding. Uh, if you know a lot more about it, just excuse the simplicity. I'm not trying to bog us down with too, too much at the beginning. I will be going into a little bit more complex physiology a little bit later on at the end of the podcast when I explain some of the mechanisms. So insulin sensitivity, however, why do we care about that? Well, if you have an insulin molecule that binds to a receptor on the periphery and the peripheral cells, then you want that molecule to send a strong signal. Okay. Hey, open up. We've got glucose. We need you to shuttle this glucose into yourself so you can use that for metabolism or to use that for uh, all kinds of post, uh, post-translational modifications. There's all kinds of different things. But the point is that it pulls glucose from the bloodstream into the cells. So if you have one insulin molecule that can bind the receptor and create a strong signal, that's great. That means you're insulin sensitive. That means you need less insulin to be secreted to get more glucose out of the bloodstream into the cells. Fantastic. However, Americans and people across the globe, not just Americans, hundreds of millions of people consume this molecule known as caffeine. So if you're one of those individuals, this is pertinent to you uh, with context applied. So the purpose of this particular study is they wanted to investigate the effect of caffeine on insulin sensitivity. So 
That is our introduction, and now let's move into a bit of the design. So the design is really simple. The study was really well done, uh, or simply done, I suppose I should say, but well done as well. Uh, they had 11 participants, men and women, about equal, and they were all young and healthy. Uh, and we'll touch on a little bit of obesity and diabetes as well as we, we get further along. Uh, then they, so those 11 participants were infused with caffeine. So they, they were actually injected with caffeine and then their blood was measured over, let's say two hours of time as they were continuously, uh, injected with caffeine. The amount that they infused was three milligrams per kilogram of body weight. So what would be considered a moderate amount of caffeine, uh, yeah, I, I would agree. I guess that's about a moderate amount. You know, if you're getting into the higher end, you're probably consuming about five, six milligrams per kilogram. So a moderate amount of caffeine was infused into the bloodstream. And then they wanted to know, okay, well then what happens, right? What happens to insulin sensitivity? But they actually also looked at free fatty acid levels, which is essentially the fat release from, let's say, fat cells. They also looked at epinephrine. They looked at blood pressure. So that's really the blood pressure one is the other one that's really interesting that uh, I'll be definitely covering over the course of, of this podcast. Then, So we've got 11 participants that are being given caffeine great. But I mean, if there are differences, like how do you determine if there are differences? Well, you need a, uh, you need from then on a comparison group. So what was that comparison group? Uh, the comparison group was the placebo group. The placebo group was infused with an equal volume of no caffeine. Okay. So they, they put a liquid into the bloodstream, but it held no caffeine. So now we've got a comparison of the placebo versus the caffeine group. It's really simple. And they strengthened that with ha actually using a placebo group from a parallel study that they were using, that they were comparing to another molecule, which I won't discuss in, in this podcast because it's not really relevant. But they strengthened that by using the placebo group from that study, which was they did the exact same procedures, same types of participants young, healthy, etc. So they increased the number of participants that were in the placebo group up to 21. So great, strengthens the study, fantastic. Now for the women, they also made sure that they were tested at the same time of the month to account for the menstrual cycle variations as well. That's also incredibly important, or it can be incredibly important. We don't necessarily know. Also, finally, the participants also refrained from consuming caffeine for three days leading up to these particular measures or the experiment. Okay, so that is the experimental design. Now let's jump into the results and I'm going to be pointing out a few key points, but there are other pieces of data that again, if you'd like to check it out, the study will be linked for you so you can check it out for yourself. Uh, it's again, pretty, pretty easy to, to read. So the first thing that I wanted to kind of point out is epinephrine. Epinephrine is something is a, uh, transmitter a hormone that can be released that is typically mostly released from the adrenal gland the adrenal gland sits on top of your kidneys it's like this pudgy substance it's kind of weird to be honest if you look at it and if you're watching on the the video uh broadcast i'll have a picture of it in a little bit um 
And what epinephrine does is it's a catecholamine. So it actually increases, it's kind of the fight or flight, right? Think of adrenaline, that is epinephrine. Okay, so those are actually the same thing. So you can use those interchangeably. And so the design is to go a little more specific with that. They, they tested the blood for epinephrine at the zero or kind of at a 20 minutes before they added caffeine or the placebo, started infusing each one uh, into each participant. Then they measured again. So then they infused caffeine or they infused placebo, the placebo liquid, and then they measured again, let's say 10, 15, 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, something like that. So that's our time point zero. So that is kind of our, our, we've got two time points now, without caffeine, without placebo, no infusion whatsoever, and then the addition of caffeine or placebo. Then they did what's called a euglycemic clamp. So to explain that, that is essentially, they're clamping blood glucose at a particular level. They're making sure that the glucose does not fluctuate. It doesn't fly down, it doesn't jump up. It sticks at, I believe they said five millimolar. You don't need to know what millimolar is, just know that the concentration is five parts of, of glucose. And so you could go up to six parts, seven parts, eight parts, but you're getting higher and higher up in that situation. You're looking at a pathological situation if you're getting up to, let's say, nine or 10 or something along those lines. And if you were to go down to like one, you'd probably be dead because that's way too low of blood glucose. Your body has to have a certain amount. So they are making sure they're testing every like five minutes to make sure that these participants, their blood glucose was clamped at five. Okay, so what's the other thing that they do? They also add insulin. And this is where they actually add uh, pretty sizable amounts of insulin. And then they're going to see what impact the insulin has on whatever outcome that they want to look at. So in this situation, they're looking at epinephrine. So we've got a condition without, again, caffeine or placebo. Then 30 minutes later, they've added this caffeine and placebo, they're getting a measure from that, and then they add this euglycemic clamp. So then they're adding insulin. And from here, then they take more measurements at, let's say, the 60-minute mark, the 90-minute mark, 120-minute mark. I think this one they did uh, like 90 minutes and 120 minutes, something along those lines. So, you know, these people are just sitting there for two hours, one and a half to two hours with things kind of going into their bloodstream, you know, they're kind of streaming this stuff in. This has to be highly, highly supervised, uh, but it tells you a lot of information. So what did they find? Well, they found that with the addition of placebo or caffeine, when we're more interested in caffeine because placebo is essentially nothing, that's the control condition, caffeine, with the addition of caffeine, you see a rise in epinephrine. That isn't a shock, and I'll explain that once we get to kind of the physiology. So you see a rise in epinephrine, but what happens when you add insulin, when you artificially add insulin? Well, nothing. It just continues to rise. So the caffeine condition continues to have increases in epinephrine, and the no caffeine has uh, continuously low levels of epinephrine. And 
I'm pointing this out now because that's actually going to be important later on as I explain the physiology. Now the other thing is although we've been focused at this point uh, on epinephrine and we've talked about blood glucose, another thing to note is free fatty acids. So free fatty acids are simply uh, fat molecules, freed fat molecules that are potentially in the bloodstream. So if you if the body undergoes uh, lipolysis, which is the breakdown of fat, so let's say from your fat cells, it undergoes lipolysis and it starts breaking those fat molecules down and starts dumping them into the bloodstream, then you have you would have increases in, in uh, free fatty acids. So what do they find? I'm not going to go through step-by-step uh, step what they did again. It's the exact same experiment. I just want to point that out again with the, the addition of placebo or caffeine without insulin, and then later on they add insulin, and then they want to know what happens at the 90-minute mark and the 120-minute mark. And here the outcome is uh, free fatty acids. And what it shows is that caffeine without insulin increases free fatty acids. Again, I'm going to explain that uh, later on. But placebo doesn't really. However, interestingly enough, if you add insulin, suddenly the free fatty acids drop. And that makes complete sense because insulin is going to be suppressing or inhibiting the uptake of, or I'm sorry, the, the breakdown of fatty acids. Why? Why, why wouldn't it? Insulin is trying to move glucose into the cell. So if, if the cells are switching to a glucose metabolism, then they don't need to be dumping all this uh, fat into the bloodstream. The fat cells don't need to be dumping all, the, all of this fat. So it makes complete sense. And it's nice to see here that insulin then massively drops free fatty acids and completely overcomes the sort of overcomes the effect of caffeine. It, it drops it in placebo and caffeine, but what we do know is that caffeine does increase uh, free fatty acids when insulin isn't present. Then insulin comes in and kind of bullies caffeine and drops uh, the free fatty acid release. So this is all on par. This is exactly what you would expect uh, from, from individuals. Okay. Now, the next one, blood pressure. This one is really interesting because I'm going to be talking about this a little bit different than what I have in the past. Um, we're not just going to be talking about caffeine, although caffeine seems to have an impact on blood pressure, but uh, also want to talk about the effect that insulin has independent of caffeine. So for blood pressure, they again do the exact same thing. So it's just a repeat experiment over and over and over again with different outcomes, except for the final experiment, which is going to be slightly different. And I'll explain that one once we get there. So in this situation, they are, again, taking a baseline measurement with no caffeine or no uh, placebo added. Then they have a loading dose that kind of that infusion of caffeine or placebo with no insulin. And then they again add insulin uh, at for the 90 minutes or 120 minutes. And then they want to know, okay, well, then what happens, right? To systolic blood pressure, which is if you go to the doctor's office, that's the high number, and the diastolic blood pressure. Systolic being that the 
the high contraction, high pressure situation for your heart and, and your vasculature, uh, your cardiovascular system, the veins and arteries, specifically the arteries of your system, and the diastolic is the, the most relaxed situation. Okay, so what they find, interestingly, is that caffeine increases blood pressure, specifically uh, systolic blood pressure, but we do see an increase with diastolic blood pressure as well. Okay, now that's by comparison to before the caffeine was added, but also uh, by comparison to the placebo. So we're pretty certain at this point that caffeine increases blood pressure. However, what's also interesting is that insulin infusion increases blood pressure. So if you compare the blood, the systolic blood pressure at the end of the study compared to right when they add insulin, right when they add insulin, when insulin has had no effect yet because it hasn't been added, the blood pressure is lower when they don't have insulin in the system. And then it increases about five points, five, six points, something along those lines, over the course of those two hours. So insulin seems to have this increasing effect on blood pressure. And that, well, I'll go ahead and touch on that now, that could mean then that this could be an exact, <laughs> I always have trouble saying this word, this could exas exacerbate the issue of uh, cardiovascular disease. So if you are potentially diabetic and you have high levels of circulating insulin, especially with type 2, well, more specifically type 2 diabetes, that then that could, in its own right, aside from all the other factors, in its own right could be increasing blood pressure. I mean, a five-point swing in blood pressure is not something to scoff at. If it's just one thing, um, just one substance, one molecule is having that much of a swing on your blood pressure. So it's something that's interesting and certainly something to keep in mind. Okay. Uh, another just quick points is they also measured heart rate. Heart rate obviously increased with caffeine, not a huge shock there. Uh, with the addition of insulin, they also saw an increase with uh, the, the addition of insulin. And then they also did blood flow uh, of course, both of those increased. And that's not too, too shocking either. If you're going to have an increase in the pressure in a closed environment, that means that the speed by which the fluid flows then is going to increase. That's not a shock. Really, the bigger thing, the bigger story is this rise in systolic blood pressure. But specifically, actually, that the insulin condition did not see an increase in diastolic blood pressure. So only the high pressure environment was actually affected. So really, really interesting in, 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 in my opinion, in my humble opinion. Okay, and then finally, the insulin sensitivity assay or technique experiment, and then we'll go into the physiology of what was going on. So now for this experiment, this is uh, slightly different because they're still doing the clamp, they're still adding the insulin, still measuring glucose, making sure that glucose is stable at that five millimolar range. So it's clamped. That's why it's called a euglycemic clamp, because you're clamping blood glucose at, in this situation, five millimolar. Okay, 
So what happens? This is our measure. This is our measure of insulin sensitivity with caffeine. What's going to happen? Well, let's find out. So they do this, but they also add a glucose infusion rate. And what that is, is they're adding glucose to the bloodstream when they add insulin. And they want to know if per roughly per molecule of insulin, are you getting the same disposal of glucose? So if you are, so essentially what that breaks down to is if the researchers can add, can manually add like infuse more glucose into that person's bloodstream that and their blood glucose levels stay at five millimolar, that means they are more insulin sensitive because that means per molecule of insulin, they are able to shuttle more glucose into the periphery, into these peripheral cells. So that's, so high glucose uh, infusion rate is a good thing. That means you, that would, that would indicate that you would have better insulin sensitivity. Okay, so they do the same thing, euglycemic clamp, et cetera, et cetera. Addition of placebo or caffeine. And what do they find? Well, they find that the glucose infusion rate is actually decreased with caffeine. And this is where they're getting this idea that insulin sensitivity is damaged or hurt by caffeine intake. And by how much? Well, about a 15% reduction in insulin sensitivity. And I didn't actually write this in my notes, but uh, I do now it's coming to me that in the paper, they mentioned that metformin, which would do the opposite, would increase uh, insulin sensitivity. So metformin would increase insulin sensitivity. That actually creates an increase of 15%, roughly about 15%. So you know, caffeine is like the exact opposite of that. Uh, it would then do the exact opposite, it would decrease insulin sensitivity. So that's that's a as the point of that is that it's clinically relevant. Then, then you see this uh, decrease in insulin sensitivity. Okay, so that is the data. However, let's discuss what might be going on here. Okay, so. We know that caffeine, I mentioned this in the introduction, that caffeine increases epinephrine release from the adrenal gland. Okay, so bear with me. This is going to be some physiology here. It's not going to be too, too complex, but it's, uh, it's going to give some explanation as to what might be going on. So caffeine, the molecule, does bind the adrenal cells of the adrenal gland that is located on top of our kidney that leads the adrenal gland to release adrenaline, otherwise known as epinephrine. So the quote unquote scientific term is epinephrine. So this epinephrine is stage two, then goes into the bloodstream and it circulates around and it binds all these different cells. And one of the things that it does is it binds adipocytes. Adipocytes are fat cells. So these fat cells will then undergo lipolysis. So they will start releasing free fatty acids. So that is likely, although this is untested, I should say that, although based on this study, it is untested. That is likely what's happening in terms of the increase, that sudden bump that we saw 
in the caffeine condition with the release of with the release of free fatty acids. So the fat molecules in the bloodstream suddenly increased. And then remember, the insulin insulin came in and just completely smashed that back down. Uh, But in the context of no insulin, epinephrine binds the adipocytes most likely and then induces this lipolysis, this release of uh, fat. However, when we have this infusion of insulin and whatnot, we want to know, you know, uh, insulin sensitivity and glucose levels and et cetera, et cetera. Epinephrine has two other functions. Well, actually it has a lot of functions, but we're just going to talk about it in a metabolic context of it has two other functions. One, it can go to the liver and induce gluconeogenesis, where it allows this production, well, uh, glycogenolysis as well as gluconeogenesis. But the point is that you get this breakdown of glucose that is then, uh, or breakdown or the, the creation of glucose in the liver, and then that's then dumped into the bloodstream. Now, this, as well as this other mechanism, which epinephrine also binds all these other cells, so all the peripheral cells, and it actually reduces the uptake of glucose from the bloodstream. So the exact opposite of what insulin does. Insulin would then increase the uptake of glucose. Epinephrine does the exact opposite. It decreases the uptake of uh, glucose from the bloodstream. So it's having a twofold effect in terms of the blood glucose levels. It's increasing blood glucose by having the liver dump more into the bloodstream, and it's also on the back end hampering or stopping or reducing the glucose uptake by the peripheral cells. Okay, so what really does this mean? Well, it could mean that caffeine actually doesn't have an impact on insulin sensitivity, but more so that caffeine just raises blood glucose levels. So really the next experiment that they should run is actually trying to take cells out of uh, the people, or they can do this in mice as well, it probably wouldn't be an issue, and doing some form of what's called an in vitro assay or in vitro experiment, wherein they end up taking these cells putting them on a plate, and then they add caffeine or they add this placebo, whatever they want to do. Uh, They have to have some sort of control. And then they want to know if the actual uptake of the glucose from the media, the liquid that's surrounding the cells, is the same with the same amount of insulin. That would be a more direct measure. Because what could be happening here in their glucose uh, infusion rate experiment is that if epinephrine is having this effect, it's not really so much an indication of insulin insensitivity it's or insulin sensitivity. It's more so that you just have this mechanism that's increasing the glucose that's being left in the bloodstream. And that's why they can't artificially infuse as much glucose into the bloodstream of these, these individuals. So does this necessarily mean that then caffeine is having a direct impact where it's directly affecting uh, insulin sensitivity? No, it doesn't. Uh, it's decent evidence, but I think we need more evidence uh, one way or another. Okay.
So that's one of the mechanisms that they explain that epinephrine, you know, caffeine stimulates epinephrine, epinephrine has all these, all these effects. The second mechanism is through adenosine. So uh, I've spoken on adenosine in the past, but adenosine, uh, you may recognize it when I've talked about sleep before, uh, adenosine is a molecule that builds up uh, it's a metabolic byproduct, and it builds up over time, uh, over our day. You wake up in the morning, your adenosine levels are extremely, extremely low, and then they rise over the day. And that's one of the mechanisms by which we get tired, other than our circadian rhythm. The buildup of adenosine then leads to us slowly getting more and more tired. But here's the kicker. Caffeine, the molecule caffeine, actually has a similar chemical structure to adenosine. And not only that, it can bind the same receptor in cells or on cells that adenosine does. So when we wake up, and although our adenosine levels are already low, or they should be because you've gotten your eight or nine hours of sleep, I know for some of you guys, that's a joke, but for others, I mean, it should be what you should be trying to aim for, uh, depending on your, your, your body and age and et cetera, et cetera. The adenosine levels are really low, but when you consume caffeine, you're not only having low adenosine levels just by the nature of you sleeping, but also because you block the adenosine molecules that are present from actually binding their receptor. So that leads to a double effect. And then caffeine also has uh, the effect on epinephrine, which also has effects in terms of uh, increasing uh, mood and increasing uh, kind of fidgetiness. <laughs> I think people that have uh, consumed caffeine understand what I'm saying. It's just kind of mild sense of euphoria that you experience. Well, a lot of that comes from this uh, two-part mechanism, but the, also the increase in epinephrine. So... Caffeine then blocks the adenosine. So now the adenosine is, is, can't function as it's supposed to function, as in trying to calm you down, slowly build up over time in the bloodstream, and then continue to bind more and more of these receptors, which then leads the cells to send more and more signals to your brain specifically to shut down. It's time to go to sleep. So when you have this intake of caffeine, then that leads to this, uh, this antithesis. Okay, but why are we talking about adenosine? So adenosine seems to, based on other data from other papers, adenosine decreases glucose uptake. Again, taking the glucose from the bloodstream into uh, the periphery, the peripheral cells like muscle cells, for example. So adenosine decreases glucose uptake in obese animals. So this is the animal studies. Decreases the uptake in obese animals, but stimulates it in lean animals. So if caffeine blocks adenosine, therefore it could then theoretically increase glucose uptake in obese animals and decrease it in lean animals. And in this study, we're looking at lean, well, at least not obese individuals. So 
it's possible that caffeine is blocking adenosine. And not only that, maybe it's having some alternative signaling pathway uh, as it binds the adenosine receptor that is there, th therefore decreasing blood glucose uptake. But another point here is uh, that I really want to point out is that this could mean that it could be have different effects based on who you're talking to. If you're talking about an obese person, it could potentially have uh, positive effects. But if you're talking about a generally lean person, it could have detrimental effects. So suddenly body composition comes into play here. And that's definitely something that needs to be investigated far more than what they're talking about in this study. I mean, they're talking, they're referencing animal studies and then they're kind of making conjecture from there. So there's a lot more that needs to be studied. Okay. And the final point is that it's possible that this effect can dissipate with habituation to caffeine. So the more caffeine you consume, and I've got an uh, article on this if you're interested and videos on this as well, that the more caffeine you consume, the more tolerance that you build up. And how does that happen? Well, it happens because you your cells start producing more and more of these adenosine receptors and starts dumping more and more adenosine into the bloodstream. So that's why after a while that you've been consuming caffeine, uh, let's say months and months, you start noticing, oh, well, wait, you know, one one cup of, of coffee doesn't do the same thing for me anymore. I don't really, it had no effect. I'm still incredibly tired. Well, that's because your adenosine levels are way up um, and the adenosine receptors are completely, are, there's far more of them. So the caffeine molecules are not able to take over all of them. They're just able to take over some of them. So that's why you need a second cup and a third cup, et cetera, et cetera, to actually uh, saturate your bloodstream. So it's possible that this effect, if there's truly an effect on insulin sensitivity with caffeine, decreasing insulin sensitivity, it's possible that this might actually dissipate over time as people become, uh, have a sensitivity to caffeine. But again, that's something that needs to be investigated further. So based off of this paper, however, at the very least, we can say that it decreases the relationship between insulin and glucose, blood glucose levels that caffeine does. So caffeine changes the relationship between uh, gluco blood glucose and insulin. Okay, so the takeaway is in the short term, at least, caffeine decreases, potentially decreases insulin sensitivity, and caffeine or insulin or both increase blood pressure. Now, again, that could be just, that could be completely fixed by habituation. I doubt that would be the case for insulin. Typically, if you have elevated insulin, uh, that's not supposed to be elevated, let's say uh, when you're in a fasting state, then when insulin is supposed to be at its lowest, if you still have elevated insulin, that's a problem. You're, you're on the fast track for some serious, some major issues. So uh, that's certainly something that you would want to consider even beyond just the blood pressure issue. Okay, so that's the big takeaway. Caffeine does seem to have an impact, uh, potentially through epinephrine, potentially through adenosine, potentially through some other mechanism that we haven't discovered or we haven't uh, discussed. And... That's, I'm not, I think I should also add, I'm not saying here, or I don't think we should walk away from this saying that caffeine is immediately the devil and therefore we can't consume it. Uh, but 
you just have to be aware that, you know, this miracle molecule that people love to talk about, uh, maybe not be may not be perfect all the way around. And on top of that, keep in mind that we're talking about caffeine. We're not talking about just coffee. So it's possible that coffee could still have positive effects because of its other components, but caffeine itself could have detrimental impacts or potentially detrimental impacts. Okay, so everything in context. I hope that uh, you learned something here. Hopefully you found this informative. And with that said, I hope to have the absolute pleasure of speaking with you in the next one. Have a good one, guys. See ya.